The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard called No Win Scenario. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, we got a lot of great listener feedback for you to stick around to the end and listen to because uh, uh, we love to get your feedback and we want to share that with you. Be sure to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. If you enjoy this, you'll enjoy Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where you can find wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. So, Jimmy, we had a little bit of a follow up uh, from last week. Yeah. So I'd seen an interview with LeVar Burton where he mentioned his daughter being on the show. And I assumed that that was uh, the daughter that we've already met on the show, who's the pilot of the Titan. And you uncovered evidence that that actress is not his daughter. And it turns out we're both right. He has a second daughter who we'll be meeting later in the series that is played by his real life daughter. Right. Nice. Right. Yeah. That's uh, Micah, I think is, is, is LeVar Burton's actual daughter's name. Yeah. Ashley uh, Chestnut is the actress who plays Sydney LaForge. So um, that'll be good. So um, let's get right into it then. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? Well, this week, unfortunately, the Rafi Musiker show is on its mid-season hiatus. <laughs> but on on the Captain Picard show, we flash back to five years ago where Captain Picard is telling stories of his career to a group of cadets in a bar. Meanwhile, inside the nebula today, everyone on the Titan has about four hours to live. Picard takes uh, Jack to a holodeck bar in an attempt to bond as father and son before the end, but they're interrupted by Captain Shaw, who is high on pain meds. Uh, he tells a horrific story of being a young engineer at the Battle of Wolf 359, and it's clear he deeply resents Picard as Locutus. Meanwhile, with Riker's authorization, Seven goes hunting for the Changeling. Beverly figures out that the biological waves from the nebula are actually contractions, and it's about to give birth. Jack figures out that they can use the waves as a source of energy to recharge the warp engines. Shaw, I guess no longer high on the pain meds, is enlisted to work on the ship's older warp engines to make this possible. And this action flushes out the changeling, who Seven kills. The ship then surfs its way out of the nebula, and on their way out, they throw an asteroid at the Shrike and severely damage it. For the moment, they're safe. And the nebula has given birth to a bunch of giant squid space babies, kind of like the ones from Encounter at Farpoint, bringing us full circle conceptually to where the next gen started. But we flash back to five years ago in that bar and realize that Jack was there when Picard was telling stories. He asked Picard if he ever had a family, and Picard happily said that Starfleet was the only family he ever needed. And that was why Jack never introduced himself to his father. He felt rejected. We finish on Jack having a weird vision and hearing a voice that says, find me and <laughs> together soon. The end. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Heading to the corn. So uh, first impressions of, our, of this episode, uh, Jimmy, what did you think of uh, overall? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a fun episode. I think the the series continues to gain strength. Um, you know, this was a very interesting episode. There's some weird stuff like the most bizarre communications method ever seen in science fiction television, um, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but there was a lot of good stuff here. Uh, Father Corey, what would you think of this one? Uh so I, I'm convinced now that there was this show that had two seasons that featured Picard and Seven of Nine. 
And now we finally got the season of Star Trek Picard we wanted. And this episode kind of shows that um, this is this is probably the best. I, I'm, I'm going to just flat out say this is the best episode of Picard they've aired so far, period. Mm. Um, we see Picard as confident. He's a leader. He's not second guessing himself. He's not, you know, trying, you know, trying to back, you know, trying to be Oh, I'm so sorry for everything I've ever done. We see a crew that's competent. They're doing what they need to do and they get it done. And this is the spirit of next generation of those series we wanted. At least I wanted, you know, and so this this was a great episode. I I, I ding it for the uh, throwback to Farpoint, the worst, still the worst <laughs> introductory Star Trek episode ever. But. That's neither here nor there. Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's got its weaknesses. Everything does. But it, yeah. it was, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I wonder if the giant squid space babies are meant to be the same species mm. as from Farpoint. They don't look exact. I mean, they're both they're both squidiform. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't look exactly the same, but neither do Klingons. So <laughs> that could, that could be chalked up to just changes in, in special effects. Yeah. We do get See, a Farpoint reference in this one too. Yeah, yeah we it, do. They do mention Farpoint and that's why I think they yeah. were meant to be this, the same species just with, you know, what, 40 years of yeah. graphics improvement. And yeah. adorable I, eyes. By the way, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> M- multiple adorable eyes. Yeah, um, that, but because of that reference, because they say at one point, you know, we've we've encountered other spacefaring life forms, and Picard says, like at Farpoint, and it's like, oh, you forgot about the giant one that was trying to suckle the Enterprise, because that's <laughs> yeah. the more that's the more famous one, and so to right. deliberately go back to Farpoint, where the things appear on screen for a few seconds. It it and my first thought when it gives birth is oh this is where that race comes from this is their mm-hmm. this is their reproduction and since they have contractions that apparently means they're mammals <laughs> <laughs> that's because, right because because uh, you only have live births with mammals otherwise it's eggs that's right um, yeah they didn't even go back to the crystalline entity which would be a, a lore yeah. connection which is interesting uh, I would my. My overall impression is, can we have Terry Metalis do all future Star Trek episodes <laughs> because, yeah. as, as the showrunner yeah. because or Star Trek series? I mean, because so far, I mean, a, apart from Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks is its own thing. I, I'll, I'll grant you that mm-hmm. this is a superior season of, the, you know, than anything Discovery has done and superior than anything, you know, the two previous Picards. Better than Enterprise, frankly, I think, even mm-hmm. uh, so. Oh, Star Trek Enterprise? Oh, yeah, yeah better than that. Yeah. yeah. At least better than the four, than the first three seasons of that. Yes, yeah. yes. It was also in, in Enterprise when they finally got a, sh- a showrunner who was a fan mm-hmm. that right. started mining the lore. That's when Enterprise got good. And right. that's what's the same thing happening on Picard. Yeah. And it's and, you know, it's it's interesting, too, because there's a lot of of course, there's a lot of YouTubers who have been extremely critical of everything being done uh, start in Star Trek name. And even some of them are starting to turn around. Um, Mm -hmm. One of them known as the critical drinker is one Mm -hmm. of those who I mean, he he was brutal against some of the, you know, discovery and a couple others. And and with good reason. I mean, he'd actually you watch his videos and he would put out. This is where they're falling short. This is where they're messing up. You know, and I mean, he was he wasn't just this is bad because I don't like it. it he's saying it's bad because here's reasons. Yeah, reasons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and very good reasons. And he's he's been praising this uh, the season of, of uh, Picard, including this, especially this episode. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, there has been some uh, pushback. Uh, I mean, I even I, I I have seen Critical Drinker. I've also there's another guy, uh, Dave Cullen, who. Yep has been uh, really highly praising this season of Picard, but he's also pointed out some flaws. Um, This uh, episode in particular, he pointed out, um, he pointed out several things that I thought were very interesting. One was, you know, at the end of the previous episode, Riker says, get yourself off the bridge. You've just killed us all. Mm -hmm. And, and he pointed out correctly that that was Right for Riker to speak that way in front of the bridge crew was unprofessional 
and mm-hmm. counterproductive because saying that in front of your bridge crew um, will scare the hell out of them and make it harder to get out of the current crisis um, because it's like our captain has just given up. We're all dead. Yeah. And um, and now he's lashing out at the crew, even though he's the captain and the buck stops with him. He's a, he, it, all Picard was, was an advisor. He was an insubordinate advisor, but he all he was was an advisor. And you took his advice. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, do not do not lash out at people for giving you their advice. That's what he's there for as your acting first officer. And, and and that's not necessarily a writing flaw. It's just it's a character flaw mm-hmm. where there is more of a flaw. And it's on the writing end is in the bar scene in this episode where Picard drops an F-bomb. Mm. And apparently this was it was Patrick Stewart himself who did the writing for that. It was an ad lib. Mm. But they still included it in the episode, and it's an right. unnecessary F-bomb. And frankly, it's in the course of him telling the story of how Jack Crusher died. And wow, did they de-heroicize that story, you know, because we'd already had mm-hmm. a, a, you know, it presented to us as this as this tragic you know, thing that happened to this very good man who was a hero and we can all look up to even though we've never met him and mm-hmm. apart from a hologram. And now it's like he and Picard were just going to get laid. It's like, thank you. We did not need that as part of the mythos. Right. Well, that's not when Jack died, but it's it's the the famous story yeah. when they needed to be rescued. And OK, well, it was no win scenario. But yeah, I, yeah. I conflated those then. But yeah. that's how I understood it. Um, incidentally, there's another, though, really good bit of writing, which is um, the way Shaw just savages you know, mm-hmm. um, Picard in his speech. I've heard it compared to the character Quint from Jaws. The This mm-hmm. is his Quint, Quint speech. Um, and and he just savages Picard in that. And it, because Picard and Jack are having this father-son bonding moment and in comes Shaw and he's high and he just mm-hmm. blunders into this and says, oh, sorry if I'm interrupting. And then he gives this amazing speech, which, you know, I saw Will Wheaton suggest this speech is going to be like on top 10 speeches in Star Trek videos from here on out yeah. because oh, yeah. it's so good. And and after, at the end of it, Picard just says, I understand. And he leaves and he walks off in shame. <laughs> and... And then later in the episode, when Picard needs Shaw, because magically he's the only person on board who's who's old enough to know how to fix the warp engines the way they need them fixed. Um, he comes to him and says, I need you, even though you're and he uses a word from Chicago and mm-hmm. um, and and. Shaw doesn't make a big deal of it. He just goes to work. And one of the things Dave Cullen was pointed out is they, unlike Discovery, we don't have a hug it out moment mm-hmm. between Picard and Shaw. They settled their differences like men. Right. Yeah. They Well, and Shaw even recognized his his mistake when he let it yeah. all out when he, right away. It's like, apparently I... I at some I point, being, uh, <laughs> with charm. Well, he says, "Forgive me." At some point, um, bleep, bleep a you know a hole, a hole became a, a substitute for charm. Yeah, it's the yeah, yeah. Say it. <laughs> which which is a good line. And I'm sorry, I can't say it because it's a family show. But uh, but it's it's pain in the rear end. Pain that, in the rear let's end. Let's just use that word. Let's call that yes. Um, um, one one thing I, I you know I pointed out early on when you look at the closing credits, you see um, things like. Uh, the, the star date of Wolf 359, the USS Constance, um, and then uh, the 10 forward and the holodeck. Well, that's all explained right here. That's where that came from. Right. Because that's what this is, you know. So there, uh, it'd be interesting to see what other the, the little uh, nuggets they put in the closing credits will, will mm-hmm. play out. So let's go back to the to the top, because it's interesting to me that every episode starts with a flashback of some sort or another. Um, so I think so far, every episode has started yeah. with a flashback. Yep. And so this flashback is five years ago, Picard's at 
the uh, uh, 10 forward in Los Angeles and these cadets he's trying to eat his lunch <laughs> and, and it's supposed to be like a Patrick Stewart like oh yeah this happens to me all the time I'm out at a restaurant and if some fan comes up and wants to get an autograph I mean this is probably something that that the actors have to deal with on a regular basis and, I, I still found the Starfleet cadets repeated intrusions even after <laughs> Picard repeatedly signals, I want to eat my lunch now. They just keep interrupting him with hero worship questions. I found yeah. that cringy. <laughs> it was cringy. Yeah. And partly fans do that. Um, but they asked him about this time he was hunted by a Herogen. And they asked the obvious questions like, how did they get from the Delta Quadrant? And, you know, these it's it's this hinting at this great story that I would love to actually have seen, you know, of Picard against the Herogen. And it's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Again, we have we have a Star Trek fan running this this season, you know, and so it feels cool to have this sort of stuff put in here. Um, I, I should mention, by the way, Jonathan Frakes directed this. So uh, this episode. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why it's so good. Um, and this is where we get the the reference to the no win scenario. He says, you know, no matter how bleak or unwinnable the situation, as long as the crew remains steadfast in their dedication to each other, they are never without hope. And that's really the theme for this episode is when they're, when they're divided, when they're alone in their grief or despair, their things are falling apart. But it's when they set that aside, suck it up. Remember the Starfleet officers and legends <laughs> And get yeah. to work, things get better. Um, and that's one thing I like about this is it's not the, uh, the I don't believe in a no win scenario, a.k.a. Kirk. Right. It's like, no, there are going to be times when you're just not going to win. It's just right. it's going to happen. You know, I mean, that's the whole point of the Kobayashi Maru thing, which we know that Kirk cheated at. But, um, you know, but in, but there's still hope. There's hope that, you know, if nothing else, you can make the best out of this no win scenario. Right. Um, by the way, my guess is, is the reason that we didn't just call this Kobayashi Maru as an episode title is they've used that as an episode title, I think, at least three times in Star Trek. <laughs> so probably let's let's put that one to rest. Well, this isn't exactly a Kobayashi Maru scenario anyways. No, it's so. not. So then we uh, after the teaser, we get to the, the first act and we're in uh, the present day. And power is failing. They keep having to divert everything to life support. And they're just. Riker is just holding on. Like Riker's idea is because he's in despair and he just is we need to last as long as we can for rescue. Rescue's not coming. And he knows the rescue's right. not coming. Um and so he's kind of given up. Um, which is, you know, kind of wild for Will Riker to be having given up. This also touches on something that's become kind of a writing trope that I find a little bit annoying, which is talk of power on board the ship um mm -hmm. not personal power or military authority but physical energy mm -hmm. um they they talk as if there's a limited amount of energy that they have being generated all the time and they have to shunt it between different systems and so we get lots of dialogue about shunting power between different systems and what systems you're going to choose to prioritize and and it's just really empty to me mm. this kind of dialogue does not happen on real world naval vessels or on real world spaceships you have you don't have a central power supply that you're shunting around to different things in this way yeah um and and it it just it comes off as boilerplate uncreative you know it's it's mm -hmm. it's it's like back on Star Trek Enterprise they didn't have shields so they had hull plating and mm -hmm. it's like charge the hull plating and it's like dude you just said raise the shields without <laughs> saying raise the yeah. shields um it's just really uncreative you're not really embracing the nature of this technology you're just using surrogates for later technology and in and it was lazy on a writing level and i find this let's shunt power around between different systems dialogue lazy um i also find it ridiculous that the holodeck has an independent power supply so it can <laughs> serve as a chapel in times of crisis well 
Actually, this goes back to Voyager. In fact, Terry mm-hmm. Metalis put up a video with where Voyager established in several episodes mm-hmm. that the holodeck has an independent power supply to serve not as a chapel, as a safe place, as a uh, survival zone. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't need to be a holodeck. It can just be a room. Right. Uh, I guess the, because the holodeck can provide food and yeah, you know, that sort of it stuff. Yeah, can't. Although you walk out of the holodeck, it's going to vanish from your stomach. Well, they can. Oh, I don't think that's ever been established. I think. Yeah, they have people walking out of holodecks holding drinks and stuff and they vanish. They dematerialize. Uh, But I always uh, I always took it as it's replicating actual food and drink. But I don't know that's ever been probably established. But yeah, but it is is something that was established and Voyager established that the power systems, because I don't know, different frequency, different voltage, different. Mm plasma who knows is not compatible with the rest of the ship yeah so they couldn't use so they can't just they can't just they can't just say we'll take the holodeck uh uh power source and and shunt it to the rest of the ship i would i would approve of that explanation more it's still ridiculous that you have holodecks operating in emergency situations but i mean if you're strapped for power yeah um but um but so we could all have a emotional safe space during a crisis is not a I, uh, not a convincing explanation to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, from I can understand from a dramatic standpoint because the holodeck provided this dramatic yeah. this dramatic setting that they could use. Um, yeah. That is important because when they get in there, Jack says, "Oh, I've never been to ten four, but of course he has, um, mm. and it has this this. We find out it has this uh, this resonance for him." of this disappointment that Picard doesn't know about. Um, <laughs> By the way, before we get too far away from the beginning of the episode, we probably should mention Riker's character arc in mm-hmm. this episode because he starts, he's in a very dark place. He kind of goes to Picard who he's kicked off the bridge and he kind of apologizes to him without apologizing. Um, but he, he does say you were right before. And right. he also says that in all the years he's been traveling with Picard, he's never seen anything that convinced him there was an afterlife. And he and and that's what's led to that coupled with the death of his son has what's led is what's led to his current marital difficulties, because Deanna can feel everything and she couldn't live with me feeling nothing. So apparently in the death of the in the wake of the death of his son, he's been having an existential crisis and Deanna has found him unbearable to be around because of the numbness he feels. Mm. And so that's that's interesting. I like them bringing in Deanna's empathic abilities and how it would make it hard to live with someone who's who's going through a crisis. On the other hand, she is a counselor and she should know how to help someone in his situation. the and an aspect of this is believe that's believable is that they had a child die and now they're having marital difficulties because that mm-hmm. is extraordinarily common. If yeah. a child dies, it puts such strain on the parents that marriages frequently break up. Not always. I, I know a couple who had a child die and, and they are still together decades later, but it, it is very common. For marriages to break up, especially in the secular 24th, 25th now century, Um, that would be the case. But what's less believable is that this is happening to Riker now because apparently his son died years ago. And that's when the crisis should have hit. Mm. He should have resolved it by now. But then by witnessing the birth at the end of the episode, it gives him renewed optimism and he reaches out to Deanna and it looks like they're going to try to patch things up. Well, I, I got the feeling from the, the, the end conversation between Deanna and, and Will that it's this was Riker doing this. This was not Deanna kicking him out or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I can see that where this is he's hit a point in his life where he's entered into a depressive state or what, however you want to describe it. And he feels like he's being unfair and harmful to her and so he is the one who leaves yeah. and so I, I can see that i can find that completely plausible and that is one thing i like about this episode is we do see him kind of coming to that realization that it's his fault that there's the marital problems and he's willing to fix it 
You know, and, and that was one of my complaints, one, one of my concerns from the beginning of the season where they talk about they had that one throwaway line or not so throwaway line, but that one little line about, you know, I, about basically where she should be glad that I'm not around kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, great, they're going to break up this relationship. And no, they're not. They're actually going to repair it. And I think that's that's a wonderful thing to see on yep. TV today. I think it's also believable that Riker now having left changed careers, retired, or, you know, essentially no, no longer captain of a ship, that change could bring about other um, emotional and mental crises, like highlighting the the crisis having to do with his son. And that, that has come out now. So I think it's interesting. I also think it's yeah, interesting. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, just be clear, he hasn't retired. He's still an active yeah. captain. He's just not the captain of a ship. Right. I also think it's interesting how, you know, the the show kind of lays out in the script, a lack of belief in something mm-hmm. beyond ourselves leads to nihilism, a sense of futility of existence, a paralyzing fear of death and despair. I mean, they that's the show kind of comes right out and says that, which is, I think, fascinating for Star Trek that that it would come out and say that, no, that a belief in something beyond ourselves and beyond this existence is necessary for us. Intentionally not. And a little part of me is like, take that secular humanist, <laughs> yeah. Riker, you know. Right. Um, it's kind of like there's a moment in the movie in the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers where the body snatchers are. Um, and this movie is set in San Francisco and it's the 1970s. And so this is a center of liberal culture. And at one moment. As the menace is surrounding the char- our main characters, Jeff Goldblum turns to Donald Sutherland and says, Matthew, do you have a gun? And Matthew says, no. And I'm like, take that, you San Francisco liberals. You see what happens? <laughs> if you don't have a gun and the body snatchers are going to come and get you all. And, 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 and part of me is the same way with this. It's like, OK, maybe you want to be a little more open to religion. That's right. That's right. Um, shouldn't just be the Bajorans and the Klingon. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. So we have, uh, we, we had this whole part where seven has been put on the changeling hunt by, uh, by Riker, um, who wants to keep it quiet, the existence of a changeling. Mm-hmm. So as not to hurt morale. That line was a little, was, is like, okay, we could have worked on that line a little bit, a little bit more. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but he figures that since they're doomed, the changing is nothing left to work for. So it's not going to be actively trying to, you know, create havoc. So it's okay for seven to be hunting without the rest of the crew knowing, you know, just to sort of keep it quiet, um, though, to hunt it in unofficial capacity. Uh, and so she, she starts in her own quarters. I noticed, did you know she has, still has her Calto game, you know, that she got from uh, Tuvok? That was that wasn't her quarters. That, that was, was the transporter the... chief's quarters. Didn't yep. she start? I think that uh, this the it started in her quarters. Like she was. It, there is a Calto game, but oh, I believe okay. it's the transporter chief's Calto yeah, game. It's, it's the same room where she finds the the bucket hidden behind the light. Picture. Okay, not, okay. not a very good hiding place. <laughs> It's not. And is is this like a standard changeling bucket, I guess? <laughs> it does look pretty similar. And we, we got a we got a visual callback to Odo Bourgeois yeah. as Odo in this. Nice. Um, and we should comment on this scene because she goes to uh, Shaw for advice about hunting the changeling. Mm-hmm. And he's in his quarters and she comes in and he's a and uh, he's like, I can't officially talk to you. And she, 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 she says, well, then can we talk unofficially? No. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then she keeps talking to him anyway. Yeah. And, and he, he tells her about changelings. He mentions that they've got to revert to their gelatinous state for, you know, eight hours of the day. It's their version of sleeping and they get in a bucket and he shows her a picture of what the bucket might look like. And we get there, we get the visual call back to Odo because they have an illustration of Odo next to the bucket. And he says they, they, um, they can leave residue in the bucket or because he's, he's high, he's mashing his words together a little bit. And he says, residue, 
Yep. And and so search, find the bucket, scan the residue, and then scan the ship. And that'll tell you where the changeling is. So she she does that. And there's this triumphant moment where she's got the data she needs. And she's like, residue. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just you can tell the writers are having fun with the dialogue. And right. it works. It works really well. And it's it's also another fascinating character moment for Shaw. Um, and even in this state, he's able to inspire, you know, seven of nine who he's yeah. not had good relations with. So it's part of his redemption arc as well. Yeah. yeah with, I like right there at the beginning when she comes to the quarters and she's ringing the bell and he's saying, instead of saying, come in, which is what they would usually say, he says, don't come in, don't come in. And he's yeah. sharpening <laughs> his knife on a, on a sharpening mm-hmm. stone. And, uh, and then when she goes in, she explains this changeling had to be here before Picard, Riker, Crusher's, the crushers came mm-hmm. aboard. There's something bigger going on. I like mm-hmm. that they point that out because, oh, because I, I didn't really. Yeah, right. There has to be a bigger thing. Why was there a changeling on this ship? Maybe there's a changeling on every ship. Who knows? Yeah. Um, well, and there's well, there's a part of that that uh, dialogue too where I like where you know she uh, sevens admitting is like I don't know the crew as well as you. You mm-hmm. would know them better. You would be able to pick out who this person is. And he goes, well, just look for people who aren't acting the way they would normally, you know, that, that, that you can catch them in a, a trap, yeah. you know, conversationally. And, you know, like he's talking about, you know, you're a smart officer and all these things, you know, he's kind of buttering her up a little bit. And she goes, which is what you would say if you were a changeling. <laughs> and, and not a jerk, basically. And not a jerk. Not yeah. the word she uses, but yeah, not a jerk. Um, I, I love that. I love that dialogue. And he goes, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Shaw is who he is. You know, he's just. Yeah. And he doesn't have to be everybody's friendly favorite officer to be competent and mm-hmm. good. And also, the 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 bar speech he gives sheds new light on why mm-hmm. he doesn't want to think of her as seven of nine. Mm-hmm. Why he right. wants to think of her as Annika Hansen because he's got Borg issues. Yes, yeah. yes, I want to go and deeper right, into so. into that in a bit. Um, but I do also want to point out. Why not do phaser sweeps and blood tests like we saw in DS9? Well, that requires everybody in the crew knowing about know. what's going on. Right. So yep. they explain that. Um, meanwhile, Picard, uh, Riker is doing his goodbye message to Deanna, which he can't quite finish. You know, there's a. The, he's got writer's block. Yeah. He's stuck. Mm-hmm. And I think it's he's stuck, you know, personally. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's this story of this episode is, is Riker getting unstuck literally figuratively emotionally uh so then we have that that uh holodeck scene the 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 the, uh and i this is where i said why is the holodeck running when the ship is critically low in power and the showrunners are doing it again they're like anticipating our objections like jack's accent and Mm -hmm. now the holodeck use so they at least they tell us that uh they give us a reason that's a pretty low bar but yeah, it's, it's a bar they did not always cross <laughs> in the past yeah. on Star Trek. And it is a cannon <laughs> yeah. bar. I mean, they, they they jump over the cannon bar, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. So and then we get one of the best lines in the episode where Picard and Jack are talking and Jack says, so let's talk about the elephant in the room. The hair. When did it go? <laughs> and Picard says, enjoy it while you've got it. Patrick Stewart, I remember seeing in an interview saying that he started losing his hair in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. it's why he asks Jack, how old are you? 23, 22, 23? Yeah, enjoy it while you can. Which, yeah. By the way, I, I, I'm sure most most people listening might know this, but originally they wanted Picard to wear a, a wig. A wig right. or a toupee. And have you seen the pictures where they did that in, in tryouts and it looked oh. awful? Oh, yeah. It looked terrible. <laughs> and I think that's why they, they decided not to do it to good measure. Yes. So they, I have seen parts where Patrick Stewart had hair. He's in I Claudius, mm-hmm. um, the 1970s BBC series, which is amazing. Um, it is, it is extraordinarily, I mean, it's just brilliantly cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also can be very intense in some places, but it's brilliantly cast. It's very well written. And he plays, uh, Aelius Sejanus, who was this Roman official during the reign of Tiberius, who basically kind of, when Tiberius wanted to 
retire to to the island of Capri, um, so he left Sejanus in charge. And Sejanus turned out to be a total thug who instituted a reign of terror and started to... Um, to even there's indications he like wanted to become emperor himself and um and it was a conspiracy involving Claudius and um Caligula who that managed to get Sejanus the information he or get Tiberius the information he needed to know what Sejanus was really doing that led to his downfall but Patrick Stewart is Sejanus and he's he's still got the like Patrick Stewart polite smugness as he's knifing people <laughs> and his body ends up, you know, in, in, uh, you know, like on the Tiburnian steps as it, <laughs> where it belongs. Nice. So in the, in the bar, Picard d- does actually ask Jack why you didn't want to know me. Like, why didn't you come and find me? Which at this moment I noticed he doesn't Jack doesn't say he instead tells him a story about going to Metallus four. And that's because, as we found at the end, because Jack did try to come and find him. And so it's, I mm-hmm. like the, the, that they they tie those together at this point. And he's trying not to crush his father before they're about to die by telling him I did. And you flippantly rejected me without even realizing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then that's this is about when Shaw comes in and. uh I mean, there is some other things that happen, but I want to talk about the Shaw thing first. Um, and he's he, we, first we get the, another flashback where Picard is telling the, the cadets about Darmok and Gelada Tanagra. Mm-hmm. He's continuing to tell the story. And the cadet then asks him about the situation with Jack Crusher Sr. With, that was the no win scenario. And that's where we come back to the present. And, um, you know, more crews coming onto the holodeck. Jack is talking to Picard about being part of something bigger. You know, I don't need to be part of anything bigger. I'm I'm fine on my own. And Picard disagrees. And then that's when Shaw shows up. And, you know, we're having this great father-son bonding moment. And the rest of the crew is kind of getting into it, too, as he talks about, you know, the shuttle being dead in the water and having to navigate blind all the way home. And Shaw shows up and really just... uh. I'm trying to think of a polite way. Yeah. Real real quick comment before we talk about Shaw. Just, you know, this, this conversation between Jack and, and Picard and the crew coming in and, you know, they're, they're, this is how you do. We're all together in this moment, (laughs) not discovery, right? This is how you do it. You know, it actually has emotional depth to it without having to to say we're okay in our okayness in there in togetherness. And we're together in our togetherness (laughs) and we're in the USS emotional discovery, (laughs) you know, (laughs) So uh, and that's when Shaw comes in and kind of jumps in and starts laying into Picard with this story about, you know, have has old, has your old man told you about the wolf battle of Wolf three, five, nine. Has he told you about the first time we met? Right. Mm-hmm. And and then it turns out they never met face to face, but they right. figuratively met at the battle of Wolf three, five, three, five, nine. Yeah. So Shaw was a junior engineer on board the Constance. When they were hit by the Borg, there was 50 survivors and a life pod that can fit 10. And it, it's this great, as you, as you mentioned, this great speech where this lieutenant chooses 10 at random and Shaw was the 10th man. And, mm-hmm. yep. and he's got incredible survivor guilt now. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's it deeply resents Picard as Locutus and he, you know, dubs him the most dangerous Borg of all, the only one to get a name. Yeah, the one mm. so deadly they gave him a name. I like the way that they phrase that. Uh, and yep. Locutus of Borg, and um, and Picard, like you, like you mentioned, he, he takes it, walks out, and Shaw kind of apologizes to the crew members who are present. For, you know, forgive me. At some point, being an a hole became a substitute for charm, uh, and you know, it's an interesting character moment. Shaw might be the most interesting new character in. In mm-hmm. all of Picard, I mm-hmm. I really I'm, I'm liking this character more and more. Um, so I want to jump back then to the other the other stuff that's going on. Um, Beverly knows that the bioelectric jolts are coming regularly, and she's counting them down. And we have a very interesting dramatic moment. How, yeah, it's like how is she doing that? How is she counting between when these things arrive? Because it, I'm, it it. 
they're they're simulating contractions, but mm-hmm. there doesn't seem to be a realistic way. She's not looking at it. It, it would be I would feel happier if they if she was like reading a display Wasn't she? that was in in one scene. She was maybe looking at a device. OK, but um, but it wasn't clear to me. It, she just seemed to know when these things were going to hit. Yeah, I thought you, I I th- I, th- I thought I remember her looking at something at one point, but maybe not in there, every one of those. Yeah. There was at least one scene where she had a pad in her hand as she was doing okay. this. Yeah, but um, I just think I they could have made other ones. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting, the, the dramatic, the, the way that it was this beat throughout the episode of her every once in a while counting down and sometimes counting. And then the, the next number was the first word of the next uh, character's line as we switch scenes. Mm-hmm. Like at one point it was seven and another point, you know, someone said mm-hmm. five. So it was kind of an interesting uh, way that they did that. Um, so the Shrike is emerges from the nebula and Vadek goes up to this device and cuts off her hand. Yeah. So she's apparently a changeling, right? Yeah. Well, that's we've never seen a changeling do that. Yeah. But in some of the behind the scenes stuff, I've seen indication that, yeah, she's a changeling, in which case, why does she have this scarred face? I guess that's for a fact. And and why is she working with this alien looking crew? I mean, maybe there are other members of the Dominion we've just never seen before. Yeah. But um, but so this is the most bizarre communications method ever seen. <laughs> she goes to this table. She cuts off her hand and her hand transforms into a floating face that gives her orders. Yeah. Uh, on this particular table, which apparently mm-hmm. is what is the communicator. Yeah, it's a very weird thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, and I figured Vatic was an actual person and that this changeling had replaced her. And that's why mm. still had the scars. And yeah. Everything. I mean, because the changelings have shown that that's where you're willing to do that. Kill someone off and take their place. So. Right. It's easy to understand that that's the same thing here. And maybe that'll come out in later uh, later episodes. They'll kind of explain that little. She, she's not mm-hmm. dead. She's just yeah. the, the ship is disabled. Yeah. And the Titan's able to get away because of that. Yeah. And so the floating head orders her to pursue, even though she says that, you know, the ship carrying Jack Crusher is in this gravity well. It's not expected to survive. And the floating head orders her to pursue it. And she says, well, I can't really do that because X, Y, and Z. And it says, I don't care. Go anyway. You and everything else are expendable. Mm. Which means Jack Crusher is really extraordinarily important to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially if she's a changeling, sending a changeling to their death is like. It's a big deal. It's yeah. a huge deal for changelings. Yep. And so. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll find out more about that. So. Uh, and so she has to drop the portal system, by the way. Yes. Yeah, so, she can't take it. Right. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the uh, the bloody goo in the room. And mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a, a number of our, our listeners on our Discord were commenting how the the changeling goo is a lot more a lot different from what we saw in DS Nine. It's not just mm-hmm. an amorphous tan beige uh, goo. It's actually kind of fleshy. It's like mm-hmm. um, yeah. And uh, that changes how you think about the changelings and the Great Lake, for one thing. A planet covered in this fleshy goo is kind of gross when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is this is definitely uh, where they're trying to update the special effects, because, you know, when when DS9 was on and you see Odo change, that was pretty revolutionary special effects for television at the time. This yeah. wasn't long after Terminator 2, where you saw the T-1000 doing this. And of course, that's where they got the idea for that special effect. So now they want to update it to make it more realistic. And so instead of making, you know, look more realistic mercury, they make it look like more realistic pulp and flesh and <laughs> yuck. Yeah, it changes how you think of the, the changelings. That's for sure. It, 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 someone, someone brought up the scene where Odo uh, melded into De- uh, Loxwana Troy's lap dress. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. uh then seven has, like you mentioned, found the pot, but then this changeling attacks her in the corridor, uh, destroys the pot, the pot, um, which uh, there was a funny scene with uh, Shaw where she, he's like, find the pot. And she's like, cannabis, <laughs> no, no, yeah, a yeah. literal pot. Um, 
And uh, in the and while as he does this, he actually kills another crew member uh, in the mm-hmm. in the corridor. Um, so she's you know back to square one with that. Um, meanwhile, um, Beverly goes to Picard, and this is where she says the gravity well is drawing in matter and expelling energy and its contractions. Um, and this is and then Jack comes up with the idea to use the waves to escape. So they're both going to surf the wave and absorb the wave through the nacelle. Mm-hmm. Um, o- opening up the nacelle panels so, so that they can get in there. And this is why Shaw is the one to do this because he's the only guy old enough to remember how to hotwire the nacelle yeah. controls because he's a ju- used to be a junior engineer. So this is the ship geek complaint here <laughs> that goes all the way back to the motion picture. This is a 20-year-old ship that has been refitted into a new class with new systems, with new hull, with new everything, mm-hmm. but it's still a 20 year old ship. This, you know, the, the, the complaint from TNG or from the, the motion picture was it was supposedly the same enterprise from the original series, but absolutely everything has been changed. You know, we got the ship of thesis going on here, right? You know, where everything's been changed, but it's the same ship. Well, that's the same thing here. Right. Everything's been sha- changed, but it's the same Titan, even though it's also got the A indicator, which indicates a whole new ship. Again, this is a ship geek complaint, <laughs> but I'm with for you. those of us who are ship geeks, it's a complaint. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Picard and, and Beverly and Jack take this plan to Riker, and he, he's, this is where he's like stuck again. Uh, nope. Starfleet protocol says we wait for rescue and Picard's like rescue ain't coming. Will. I mean, this is, we got to yeah. get ourselves out of this. Um, and it's Beverly who appeals to Diana, who would say it's about trust. And she says, let's do what we spent our entire life learning to be great at. Yeah. I found the writing in this scene a little problematic because Riker, Riker is unusually resistant. To yeah. the proposal they're giving him. And I I have in my notes, bad idea Riker is unusually resistant because <laughs> Riker has been plagued by bad ideas lately. And he's again, he's got a bad idea. They're giving you a good one. You should be listening to it. Yeah, it, it, it kind of goes back to like, you know, that scene in the last episode, the end of it, where, you know, he, where he tells Picard, get out, you know, Riker, Picard, Beverly, they are the. They're as great a crew as there's ever been, you know, going back to the original Enterprise, you know, and Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Mm-hmm. You know, they are hey, they're the triumvirate, Kirk, Spock and McCoy. That's interesting. Um, so <laughs> the uh, and, and so, you know, Riker's kind of rejecting this opportunity is really it's it's out of character for him. Yeah. And so they've had they've had they've tried to establish why but it may be too much here it it feels it it doesn't feel true to character um given who riker is they it feels like they're wanting to juice the inner character drama so they're making him abnormally adamant right and finally it's picard who has to say if this is the end let's face it together doing what we know we do best and riker agrees so they finally go for it Mm -hmm. uh so We we have Shaw and Seven in the cell control, uh, you know, Shaw doing his hot wiring thing, and they figure out what a changeling would do in this moment if if there's a changeling looking for them, and so they they do this typical trope of making a plan off screen with Riker. So they've made this plan uh, that we don't get to see. We all hear Riker say, "Okay, Riker, signing out. You know, go ahead and do that," and. and we'll it'll later on we'll we'll only realize was what it was was a seven saying under no circumstances send anyone to help. Don't let mm-hmm. anyone come down here to help. Because they figured that's what the changing will do is say, Oh, assume someone else's form and say Riker sent me to help. Um, which is what happens. Yeah, and so the changeling shows up in the form of Jordy LaForge's daughter. Yep. And she is talking to Seven. She says exactly that. Riker sent me to help, even though we just saw her up on the bridge. Yes. You know, mere seconds ago. And and she in talking to Seven, she refers to her as Commander Hansen, at which point Seven vaporizes her and well, doesn't vaporize, but kills her. And it's like. 
you could have just killed the real Jordy LaForge's daughter because <laughs> yeah. and and she justifies this to to Shaw saying she refers to me as Commander Seven. And it's like, okay, no, no. She referred to you as Commander Seven once when you were in a moment of vulnerability. Right. Now her commanding officer who has <laughs> forbidden us yep. to call you by your Borg designation is in the same room. So is right. she about to call you Commander Seven in front of the captain who has said, don't use that name? <laughs> I, right. I think in the case that she's holding a phaser to her chest that, yeah, she would use, she would under, understand, okay, she wants yeah the, the title, the more familial title, let's put it that way. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it, it was a thin pretext in which to, to kill someone. But, you know, it's the dramatic the moment. Yeah. More more accurate was the fact that this person came down from the bridge against orders from the captain. Right. Or it was the. Yeah. Or the 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 uh, the changeling, the shapeshifter. Yeah. 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 So back on the bridge, Riker gives Picard the con because he's got that experience of piloting blind, which doesn't make any sense, but okay. It's dramatically satisfying to fans to have Picard in the center seat, straightening his jacket as he sits, as he does and saying engaged with this. We need to have. They also, at one point, just because of all the power shunting that has to go on because of that trope, they turn off life support. And I found Mm -hmm. it fascinating Gravity is not part of life support. <laughs> Why else do you have it? Because our budget doesn't allow for them to be floating around. <laughs> so they do catch the wave and the uh, the nebula starts charging up the ship and they see the strike ahead and they Riker pulls a gambit right out of Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. I yep. have to give credit Father Andrew Kinsetter for that one because he's he, my he ship me. is dragging mine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so they. Well, I, I like this too. This was kind of almost a, a throw, literally throw it back at you because mm-hmm. they, you know, the strike through the uh, a ship at the, them. Yeah, the ship. Yeah, crusher ship at them. So they threw a rock back at it. <laughs> I like that. So um, yeah, that was that. That was awesome to see that smash into them. Uh, and then space squid babies all over the place. Yep. And Beverly has a line, you know, to she in awe looking out at the view screen to seek out new life. You know, we have that this mm-hmm. mission statement. And Riker says, yeah, I think we should boldly get the hell out of here, <laughs> which is <Yeah. laughs> really good. Um, and then um, we see that flashback to. Um, well. Jack C has seen that Picard's statement from five years ago that you're only as good as your crew comes true here, that being part of something bigger than yourself is the key to, you know, to, to success in Star Trek terms. That's the whole Star Trek statement. And then mm-hmm. we get that flashback to 10 forward and, you know, where Picard says Starfleet has been the only family I ever needed. And I, I cringed right there. I'm like, Oh, ow, that just, I can't imagine how that would feel uh, to, to hear well, that. And that, that sounded exactly like what an admiral would be saying to a bunch of cadets who are, you know, what's the importance of family when you're in the military? Oh, the military is the only family you really need. You yeah. know, I, I could see that, you know, kind of buttering them up, you know, and, and oh, yes, you know, got a hoorah military, you know, kind of deal. I could see it's, it. It's also because Picard, as far as he knows, doesn't have a family yep. and his his real family has died. I mean, they're all dead. Um, including his his nephew and his brother and his brother's wife. They're mm-hmm. all dead. And he has no family of his own. And it's very intrusive, you know, to mm-hmm. come up. I mean, as someone who's I'm a widower, if 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 someone in public were to come up to me and I've just been, you know, um, put upon by people wanting amazing stories and I've told them a bunch of amazing stories. And Mm -hmm. and then someone says to me, so how do you feel about being a widower with no children? (laughs) Okay. That's a little bit of an inappropriate question for this context, right? but you don't want to say that to Mm -hmm. someone. So you find a face saving alternative and the face saving alternative about, well, Starfleet is my family. It's the only one I've ever needed. That's a face saving alternative. So I don't blame Picard at all for saying that. It's, yeah. it, you know, it's it's exactly what someone in his situation could say that would provide a face saving feel good out 
for everyone mm-hmm. in the room. He just doesn't realize this guy is actually a member of his family who is vulnerable himself. And so I think it was actually a kind of an inappropriate question for Jack to ask in this situation. If you if you want to make contact with your father, this isn't this isn't the way to do it. What do you expect him to say mm-hmm. in this situation? Oh, right. I'm so I'm so sorry. I've never had a family. And, and you know, what are you expecting him to say? Yeah. Right. Oh, and, and believe me, I've, I've had that as a priest, you know, had parishioners and other people come up. Well, what, what do you think about not having a family? <laughs> One, none of your business. Two. <laughs> right. Now, to be fair, if it's five years ago, Jack is what, 18 at this point? Yeah. He's a kid, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he should know better, but he does know better. Uh, and the only people, I, I think dramatically, the audience feels awkward. And Jack feels awkward. And mm-hmm. that's that's really, you know, the idea is, you know, it's it's not Picard isn't doing like you said, Picard's not being mean. He's just being protecting his self in, in a sense, you know, protecting his privacy or, you know, protecting himself from inappropriate questioning. So I, I think, yeah, I agree with that. The what I like, though, is they make it clear to us both Jack and Picard now remember this moment and they just look at each other in recognition and they don't have the need to talk about it yes yes hug it out so uh <laughs> so and then we end with we have Riker talking to Deanna and you know te- this is where they where the reconcil- reconciliation is beginning being away wasn't the answer and seeing this birth this amazing birth in the nebula reminded him that there's a whole universe out there that can be beautiful and not just you know death and despair and emptiness um so and then as you mentioned we had this ending scene of Jack having this vision of the, I call it the branching voice. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but saying in a feminine voice, find me and we'll be together soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As he's standing in front of a mirror in his quarters, hitting himself on the head. Yeah. And he also has this vision of this red door opening or door in red light opening. And he has nebula branches behind him in the mirror. And Yeah. I was like, why is this guy so important to the changelings? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or is it? Is it the is changelings? He, is yeah. he a virgins in the force or something? Is Picard really his dad after all? He's a clone and he is a duality. Oh, wait, that's a different one. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe he's a changeling who forgot he's a changeling. <laughs> so, um, yeah, very interesting to to see. You know, this, we've got what the first half of the season done. There's well, a lot more to go. First, first forty percent done. Yeah, yeah. So, also something to note for the future: they raised it, they hung a lantern on it, but they didn't develop it in this episode. Why did the changeling impersonate a transporter officer? Hmm. Apparently, that's going to be important in the future. Mm-hmm. Right? They did raise that question. Right? Not replacing, uh, you know, Seven or Shaw, but yeah, interesting. So, um, last thoughts, Father Corey. Uh, something that's really small, but not just am I a ship geek, but I'm also a craft beer geek. And as Picard's telling his story on the 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 uh, picture behind him, there's a sticker for Le- Left Hand Brewing in Colorado, nice, which is a really good brewery in Colorado. They make a, an excellent nitro milk stout that you can oh, yeah. get in a can. It's delicious. It is. So if you're a craft beer geek, <laughs> look up their beer. But it's good to see that craft beer still exists in the 25th century. Nitro milk stout. They, yep. they infuse it with nitrogen in the in the can, so it makes it uh, very it is, smooth. Yeah, and I'm not got, worried it, about the nitrogen. It's the milk part. They yeah, have, it's, it's got uh, it's got lactic acid in it, so it gives mm. it kind of a milky, creamy oh, flavor. I it's never really never thought of combining milk and beer. Okay, well, it's not actual yeah. milk; it's just the lactic acid for milk. But mm. yeah, yeah, mm. <laughs> that would. But be, it, it 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 tastes. You know, again, creamy, like it's got actual milk in it. Yeah. So it's really good. I like it. It is really good. Um, I also like the fact that Jack tells him, I'm not really a wine guy. <laughs> nice. So, uh, uh, Jimmy, any final thoughts? Nope. All right. Let's get to our feedback then from our last episode, episode 251, 17 seconds. First comment comes from Rogerio Schmidt on YouTube, who says, please, guys, let Father Corey talk too." Father Corey. <laughs> well, I, I- I appreciate it, Rogerio. Uh, last 
at week I was dealing with an infected tooth, which fortunately I got taken care of the next day. I was getting able to get it taken care of fairly quickly. Uh, so I wasn't speaking because I was not feeling very good to speak. So <laughs> we were yes. covering. I appreciate him. it though. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. So I, I was, I was pretty sore and speaking didn't help that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our next feedback comes from Ryan who writes in via email. Uh, with last week's talk of Discovery's cancellation and the possibility of new shows being announced, have there been any talks of a next next generation? I could be imagining things, but I've always thought it was planned to end Picard and begin a new TNG type show with a younger crew. Section 31, Worf and Raffi and other ideas have been mentioned. But has anyone speculated a transition to a generation's style handoff of sorts? The The only thing I've heard is speculations about more with the next gen crew um mm -hmm. and so apparently after they got back into the swing of things they all decided they were enjoying it so much that they would be willing to do more mm. and so i've heard speculations in that direction obviously a you know starting a another next gen like series would be a possibility but i haven't heard any speculation on that yeah yep. same here yeah uh, Ryan uh, finishes, I get the feeling they tried this with the La Serena crew in previous seasons, but it never panned out. I don't think that's what they were doing there. I think no. the La Serena crew was always created for Picard, and they knew going in that Picard was going to be a three-season show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he does speculate Shaw, Seven, Ensign LaForge, Jack Crusher, and unmentioned others could be set up to be the new generation or Star Trek Titan and maybe a future crossover with Lower Decks, yeah, which would yeah, be There fun. will be a future crossover with Lower Decks in the form of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. We have uh, Boimler and Mariner are going to be appearing on Strange New Worlds. Right. I could totally go for, uh, just like we had with Strange New Worlds where uh, Captain Pike on Discovery there was enough of a fan outcry that they made a Strange New Worlds show from mm -hmm. that. I mm -hmm. can see a Shaw Seven show, mm -hmm. you know, a Titan show coming out of this season of Picard would be kind of yeah. fun. Uh, I, 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 I agree. I don't know if it's going to happen because there's a lot of talk about Paramount having financial issues because what a surprise. Discovery wasn't as well accepted as they want to <laughs> keep telling people, among other things. You know, of course, these all these different media streaming services, these different yeah. streaming services, they're, they're just diluting the water too much and people are having to choose what they can actually afford to watch. So I, I would love to see that. I think, you know, if it was done as well as this season, Picard has been, I think it would be a, a really enjoyable series, but I, I, I'm not going to hold my breath on it. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Terry Metalis running a Star Trek Titan series. Yes, please. That could be good. That could be very good. <laughs> uh, then Brian B. wrote in from Patreon, who wrote, uh, No Win Scenario is one of the best episodes in all of Star Trek. I'm excited to see where we go from here. One question, though. Do we still hold grudges in the 25th century? Liam Shaw and Ben Sisko, for that matter, hold Picard responsible for Wolf 359. Do they think they would have done differently had they been the one assimilated? Is there no understanding or forgiveness given Picard's service after Best of Both Worlds? Well, so in the case of these two officers, um, Cisco gets over it. You know, mm -hmm. it's an initial thing and it's natural to resent the person who was responsible, even if he wasn't morally responsible, who was practically responsible for the death of your wife mm -hmm. and and which is Ben Cisco's situation. And because Jennifer Cisco was killed at Wolf 359, you know, when the, when the ship that they were on was shot by the Borg, um, Captain Shaw has survivor guilt and, mm -hmm. you know, witnessed horrific numbers of deaths around him. He has a and it and sure, it's irrational to blame Jean-Luc Picard because he was not in control of himself. Right. But that irrationality is a natural reaction. And as long as it's not carried to extremes, it's understandable and I would say dramatically acceptable um, within the context of a fundamentally good character. So Cisco, even though he has this resentment, gets over it. He's able to move past it. And so is Shaw. Shaw is not obsessing. He's high when he's mm -hmm. when he says all this and he he's not in a rational state of mind. Um, 
And then he is able to get over it and and work constructively with Picard, despite what he said when he was high. Well, it, it's it's it is clear he does have some resentment still mm-hmm. for for the Borg because how he treats Seven and how he, he mm-hmm. treats Picard kind of come from that. But you know, it just shows that they're still human in the twenty fifth century. Mm-hmm. Humans have held grudges since the beginning of humanity <laughs> because of our sinful nature. We will continue to do so until the day our Lord returns, yeah. whenever that might be, whether it is this year or in the twenty fifth century. So and drama makes uh, good plot devices for i mean grudges make yep. good dramatic plot devices so yep. <laughs> um yeah i remember that one time roddenberry wanted next gen for them to be perfect and to have no mm-hmm. negative human emotions and everyone realized that would be a very boring show mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's not do yeah. that well we still got you couldn't have infighting on the bridge so yeah, right right so that's all of our feedback. Thank you, everyone, for your feedback. We love to get your feedback. And uh, we'll tell you how, all the different ways you can send our your feedback in a minute. But first, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Clint C., John R., Mike M., Brett, and John M., uh, John R. and John M., those two different ones. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us this time. You can tell us what you think of No Win Scenario by going to sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can also watch us all in the Secrets of Star Trek in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia and leave a comment there. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Picard called Imposter. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. Mm -hmm.